Holy Spirit. We love you and give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and be seated. So, here's a test. How many of you learned to do sword drills when you were growing up? One, two, everybody's laughing. Three, exactly, yeah, you just, so you say a passage of scripture. Everybody that's got a Bible with them, hold, hold it out like this. Say a passage of scripture, somebody. John 3.16, whoever finds it first gets a prize. Oh gosh, Chris beat me. Okay, just to prove that you beat me, go ahead and read it. Okay, another scripture. Galatians 2.20. Oh gosh, I'm going to get a beat again. I do have Galatians. I've got it. No, I don't. <laughs> now I've got it. Galatians 2.20. Just to prove I have it. Where's the 20th verse? There it is. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I have lived in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Gosh, I, I, do, I have an eye appointment, I'm sure glad. <laughs> you get the idea. So what was the purpose of that? The purpose of that was so that we could tell the order of the books of the Bible and uh, the sequence that the Bible characters are in. And... Uh, Sword drills really help because I could you you, you you could find verses really fast. Today, people are biblically illiterate. Now that doesn't mean everybody is, but so many people are biblically illiterate, which means they really don't know the scriptures as well as they used to. One of the things that they tell us as pastors is, don't just mention a Bible story. When you mention the story, tell the story briefly so that people that are biblically illiterate don't uh, will know what you're what you're talking about. So we're going to begin a series today, and it'll go through until Christmas. And the purpose of this is that you would learn the sequence of the books in the Bible, and that you would learn the sequence of Bible characters. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago what started me thinking about this was Nate Petzl at Faith Chapel did a series on Abraham uh, in the springtime. And at the end of the series, a person who is a well-educated person came up to them and said, I am so angry. And he said, well, what are you angry about? She said, nobody ever told me about Abraham Lincoln in the way that you have. Now, most of us would think that's funny, but she was dead serious. So let me just ask you a question. Who comes first in the Bible? Noah or David? Okay. Who comes first in the Bible? Gideon or Samson? That's a hard one. Gideon, actually. Who comes first in the Bible, Moses or Joshua? Moses. Okay, so you guys are pretty good, but I don't know if you saw the note, Allie, or not. I didn't. I didn't look on the outline, but I have a I have a 
sequence of the major Bible characters on the little line that we're going to put on your outline every week. And, and it begins with Adam and concludes with Job, but it actually should begin with Job because Job was the first book written in the, in the Bible, uh, most people believe. So, so I want to familiarize with the Old Testament characters and the sequence in which they came. So this morning we're going to begin, obviously, in the beginning. Uh, we won't do the creation story, but we'll do the story of Adam and Eve. And we all know, nobody needs to tell you, that there is something very wrong in the world. Uh, it's interesting to me that Holland, for example, I've been to Holland three or four times, I don't recall which, or the Netherlands as it's most commonly called now, and it looks so good. It's beautiful. They, they, those tulip fields, have you ever seen the pictures of those tulip fields? It's so beautiful. You go into the cities, it's so beautiful. Everything looks so healthy and normal and right. But underneath the surface, there's horrible pornography, drugs run rampant. It's probably the most liberal society in the world. So on the surface, it looks okay, but underneath, there's all this stuff going on. Now let me ask you a question. Is that true of you? How would you like to have somebody have a screen on the front of your forehead so everybody knew what you were thinking all the time? I feel like I need one of those today when I'm looking at your masks. I need to know, are they smiling, are they scowling, or what? There's something very wrong, and most of the time it's under the surface, but not all of the time, which we'll talk about. So notice on your outline, first of all, everything God created was good. Okay, so five times in the book of Genesis, in the first chapters, five times, five days, the days beginning on Saturday, evening, on, uh, in the evening and ending in the evening, God created something the first day, then the second day, then the third grade, the fourth day, the fifth day, and every day, at the end of the day, he would say, it is tob, or it is good. So everything he created was good. Now think of a perfect day. What would a perfect day be for you? For me, a perfect day would be wake up not too early in the morning. The sun's shining. It's warm. I go in and get a nice cup of coffee. Better yet, if Ginger brings me a cup of coffee, which she did on my vacation, that was, that was nice. Uh, it's uh, sun shining outside. There's no pressure. You got it, Ben. My motorcycle is sitting in the driveway waiting for me to go over a road, 50 mile an hour road of sweeping curves. That's a perfect day, but it's not perfect. It's a good day, but it's not perfect. So I don't know what a perfect day would look like for you, but it's still going to fall short of perfection. So we know that God created paradise. And he said, Tob, Tob. Tob, Tob, at the end of each day. At the end of the sixth day, he said, after he created human beings, did it go up or down? Up. He said, it is very good, Tob, Tob. But there was one thing that was not Tob. What was it? 
Well, that, the serpent, yeah, but there's one thing that he said is not Tob. What was it? It's not Tob that man should be alone. So he created a helper, one suitable for Adam. I, I found an interesting explanation of that this time when I studied it through. It's when, when it says that they're suitable or meant for each other, it means that one brings out the best in the other. That's kind of cool, isn't it? That he gave you a wife or he gave you a husband to bring out the best in you. You're better because you have someone who is suitable for you. So what happened? Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, if I can read it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Now that's the most important phrase there. Satan will always try to get you to doubt God's word. What did God say? Did God really say? You must not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So she knew exactly what God had said. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, and there's less the eye, less the flesh, boastful quite of life, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves, because now they knew that they were naked. So what happened? What happened was that Eve and Adam doubted the word of God, dis disobeyed him, and think. I'll, I'll read a list of names of, for Satan, and you see if you want to listen to him. This is the way he's described in the scriptures. The angel of light, deceiver, adversary, father of lies, serpent. Why am I popping? I think this cord's probably, probably loose. That's kind of distracting. Why don't I get one of these? read the list of the names of Satan in the Bible. He's the angel of light, which means that he appears to be bringing wisdom and revelation. He's the deceiver, the adversary, the father of lies, serpent, dragon, roaring lion, destroyer, slanderer, wicked one, ruler of this world, god of this age, small g, prince of the power of the air. Those aren't very good connotations, are they? So what happened was that Satan rebelled against God. He was given a choice, as we are given a choice. People say, well, why didn't God just create us without choice? Well, that wouldn't be much of a life, would it? 
He wants us to choose that we love him or choose that we don't love him, choose to obey him. So Satan took one-third of the angels of heaven who chose to rebel against him and not follow God, and the consequence was obviously horrible. Though it's written in the Bible much later, listen to this explanation of the choice between good and evil, written by Moses. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Now listen to these words. This day, and I can say that today, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. You know, it's not really complicated. It's that you listen to the Lord and do what he asks you to do, or you don't. And the consequences of both of those things are pretty amazing. So secondly, notice the blank to fill in. Our choice is life and prosperity or death and destruction. So <clears throat> God says, you can't eat from any tree in the garden. That's what, that's what Satan told Eve. She said no. We can eat from any tree in the garden except one. Now let me illustrate to you what that's like. You like you like M&Ms? Here are the inferior M&Ms. All right. So, somebody, somebody who got some uh, peanut M&Ms. Well, I got one right here. I'll just get one right here. Okay. So, in this package... You have blue, you have green, you have red, you have brown. Did I forget any? Blue, did I say blue? Orange. Okay. Yellow. In this package, you have all the same colors, but it's different. Okay. So God said you can have all the M&Ms you want, all the peanut M&Ms you want. Oh, gosh. You can have all the peanut M&Ms you want, 
but you can't have any of these. Now, for me, that's not really a big choice. That's not really a big deal because I don't care for these that much. But that's the implication that happened in the garden is that you can have fruit from any tree in the garden. Everything is available to you. Think about that. Everything is available to you except for one. Which one are you tempted to take? Well, I got to just try this at least because this might light up my world. No, we always want the forbidden thing, and that's where the fall took place. So we have choices. Eve looked at the M&Ms, the peanut M&Ms, and then she looked at the plain old M&Ms, and lust of the eye, I want some. Lust of the flesh, I know it will satisfy me. And lust, pride of evil, pride of, pride of life, this will do it for me. If I just eat these M&Ms, that will do it for me. That sounds silly, but that's exactly what happened. Everything is available to you except for this one forbidden thing. And, of course, they were tempted to take that. So you can, you can do what God says will bring joy and fulfillment, or you can do what you want to do for joy and fulfillment. And the consequences are amazing. Death and destruction come through disobedience. Imagine this. That before Adam and Eve made their wrong choice, death did not exist. Death was brought into the world by disobeying God. Death and destruction come through disobedience. Eternal life, a quality of life, and a quantity of life. So when we receive Jesus, we enter eternal life, which is a quality of life that begins now and goes on forever. Now think about these consequences of disobedience. A phone cell, go, cell phone goes off. There we go. Here are the consequences of disobedience. Pain, suffering, violence, challenging relationships, weeds in the garden, work becomes work, and death. It's fascinating to me that death did not exist until disobedience entered the world. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Satan wants to rob us of the life that God intended. I love this verse, Genesis 4-7. You've heard me talk about this before. If you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And crouching at the door. You may remember me talking about my Uncle Clark's cat. This cat would lay outside the screen door at night. So we'd open the door in the morning and open the screen door, and the screen door would roll over the cat, and the cat would go tumbling on a squall and so forth. Did that for several days. Finally, we came out one morning, we opened the screen door, and the cat jumped on us because <laughs> he knew he was gonna, we were going to hurt him. So sin is crouching at the door waiting for you. It's waiting for you to respond so that it can trap you. 
And we always have excuses. Now, how many of you have ever sinned? Okay, well, we all have. How many of you have sinned recently? Yeah, we all have in thought or in deed. And we always have an excuse. I love, I love it when God begins to interrogate Adam and Eve. He comes to Adam and he says, Adam, what did you do? Why did you do this? And what did he say? It was her. It's her, right? She made me do it. You know, it's that woman you gave me. For that woman that came along, I was fine. So he goes to Eve. He says, Eve, what did you do? Why did you do this? What'd she say? The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And then the best part of all. God's grace, 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 God's grace. Do you remember the first time you ever sinned? <coughs> probably not, but you probably remember an early sin, right? Some of you may remember me talking about the conversation my father had with me at the dinner table when I, he came home at night and I had written the F word up and down the sidewalk in front of our house in chalk. Probably 15 times up and down the sidewalk. I had no idea what it was. I just knew it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing. You know, it was a bad thing. And uh, we had a conversation about my vocabulary that night. That's the first sin I remember. I'm sure I committed sins before that. I also remember in high school, I'd been brought up in a Christian home. I knew all the Christian songs. And we didn't sing choruses like we do today, but there were a few choruses that we sang. And I loved to sing those choruses because they made me so happy. So I'd worked hard on my uncle's farm all week, and he let me use his pickup for the weekend. And I'm driving to town 20 miles away, and I'm singing worship choruses on my way to sin. I was so happy. I was feeling so good. And I was singing worship choruses, and I knew what I was about to do. I was about to go sin. It's bizarre, isn't it? And then that day that you've heard me talk about when I woke up and God's presence was in the room and I knelt down beside my bed and gave my heart to him. And the way I think about it now is that God extended his hand to me. Just extended a hand. I didn't find God. God found me. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, in other words, he's, he's never going to run out. He's wealthy in mercy. Made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. There's that word grace. And then Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we all know this intellectually, that when God reached, revealed himself and reached down to me in the room that day, I didn't earn his forgiveness. I didn't deserve his forgiveness. It was by grace. 
And I always think about it, and I hope you will too, that it's not a matter of us climbing up the ladder. I'll be better, and I'll be better, and I'll be better. Then finally I'll be good enough where God will accept me. That's never going to happen. But what happens is he reaches down into our life in the midst of our sin, in the midst of the worst part of our life. He extends his hand to us. So it'd be, you know, we probably shouldn't touch each other today, I, I suppose, but it's like if I, if I extend my hand to you, you know what that means. And if I extend my hand to you, you have a decision to make. Will you receive it or not receive it? You receive it. So you didn't earn it. This, this never gets old to me. You don't deserve God's grace. You don't deserve his forgiveness. But he extends his hand to you. And you say, Lord, I, I receive your grace. I receive your mercy. Thank you that you are rich in mercy. You're not poor in mercy. You're rich in mercy. And I receive your mercy. I receive your grace. I deserve it. Now, here's what I want to conclude with. When he does that, he asks something of you. He extends his grace to you. You receive it. And then he asks something of you. You know what he asks you to do? He asks you to extend that same grace to others. They don't deserve it. They don't earn it. They don't have to earn it, but that you would extend God's grace from you to them. So it means to love your neighbor. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled, notice that word, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, I've received God's grace, not because I earned it, not because I deserve it, but because of God's grace, and he asked one thing of me, that I would extend that same grace to others. I've been reconciled. Now I can tell others about the fact that they can be reconciled as well. So notice the last two blanks. He has restored our relationship with him. And secondly, he has given us the message of reconciliation for others. That's the beginning of the scriptures. That gives us a worldview that is unique and different than most people's worldview. That everything was good, Everything is not good because of sin, but now God has made it right through the death and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's two roads. So this morning, Lord, I want to thank you, first of all. Church, I'd like for you to just think about that time when you received Jesus, when you said yes to Jesus. Lord, thank you for that day that I woke up in my room in a very difficult and challenging part of my life. And you extended your grace to me. Thank you, Lord. I know I don't, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Never could. But I still get to day by day walk in your grace and walk in your mercy. If there's anybody here today, Lord, who's walking in condemnation because they don't feel like they're good enough, 
Maybe they've received you, but they're not living a life that is pleasing to you. And they're downtrodden. They're beat down by their sin and their guilt. I pray that today they would receive your extended hand.